With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Fulhamish is back for the season by Labbrooks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. How's it going? My name is Sammy James and well, the final countdown to the season start is on. Just a matter of days until we face Crystal Palace in our first game back in the Premier League. Still sounds good. Uh, and tonight it's a case of 3-2-1, just the three of us in the studio. Uh, I've got Ben Jarman alongside me. Hello, good evening. And alongside him is Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. How are we doing, lads? Yeah, good. Very well. Very well. Very, very good. It's been a while since we've done a, a three-man pod. Yeah, it's nice, though. You know, just like that, that small intricacy, you know, really bouncing off each other. Good vibes. It's, yeah. a, it's a bit more intimate, isn't it? Lovely. So tonight, uh, lots coming up. We're going to be discussing uh, the latest transfer of Alfie Mawson, the upcoming transfer, potentially, uh, of Callum Chambers. And it's still in the air. We haven't had too much since last week. Matty Target, as well, will be on the agenda. Uh, we're also going to catch up with Archie Ryan Tut, uh, all about Andre Scherler, and our French expert, Gilles Ronde, Jean-Sébastien, uh, about the signings of Seri and Marshall. We thought we'd do a bit of a special tonight and just find out a little bit more uh, about a few of our transfers and uh, from those that may know far more and far more informed uh, than we are. And we're going to be answering a stack full of your questions. We've had loads of them in as ever, um, but some really, really good ones tonight. So we'll make sure we save a good section of the pod for that. But first, lads, uh, another signing, another 20 million plus signing. Alfie Mawson from Swansea City, four-year contract, could cost up to 20 million. I think there's quite a few add-ons that would have to be uh, broken. I imagine stuff like England caps will contribute towards all of that. 24-year-old, played every game for Swansea last season, earned a call-up to the full England squad. And Ben, there's an old episode in the season review that we did where I said, where we, we asked the question, who out of the relegated teams, which player would you sign from each of them? And we all said Alfie Mawson. And I said specifically on that podcast, but I think he's out of our reach. How wrong I was. Very, very wrong. And I'm absolutely over the moon that we managed to get hold of someone who has such a bigger ceiling for development as Alfie Mawson. You know, someone who's got, uh, as you say, an England call-up just this year um, in one of the worst defences. He managed to stand out um, really, really well. Um, I think it's absolutely a brilliant signing for us and he could go on to do mega bits for us when he's back. I mean, this is a potential England player as well. Like, this is It's not someone to you know take lightly, Jack. No, not at all. I think it's... You know, a brilliant coup for the club in terms of you know being able to take a player like this, develop them, you know, bring them you know to the, their peak level that we can do, and we've seen what Slavisa can do for these players. And you look at the likes of you know AK forty seven and his development under Slavisa, and you think that if you know Morrison can file a similar trajectory, he's going to be some player, and alongside experienced heads like Tim Ream, who will be able to you know be a kind of guiding light, I suppose, not necessarily at the top level, but someone that's played international football for a long time and, and has really sort of gone round the houses in the kind of English division. So it's someone like that who, who Mawson can learn from in terms of experience and, and kind of manner. And I think that if that 
develops and and that defensive line gets clicking, and we'll talk about Callum James a little bit you know, later on. But if we can reunite that partnership that was the England under twenty one partnership of the twenty seventeen Euros, I think it was, mm. um, and they were brilliant. They were like absolute shining stars in that side, uh, and they really, really were sort of you know composed on the ball, centre backs, the, the real kind of football that Slavisa likes. If we can recreate that magic and get that chemistry working between the two of them, then we're going to have some you know, centre-back pairing. Well, he's had quite a nomadic career up until now, only for 24, but he's got a lot of clubs already on the CV. He began at Brentford, uh, and I believe they got a little bit of a payoff uh, for, from this move. Had loan spells with Luton, Welling uh, and Wickham. Before joining Barnsley, where he kind of broke through into, into the first team, signed for Swansea and became like a, a kind of mainstay in, in that club's defence. And the quote that he said here, Ben, is that you know he saw some of the football that Fulham played this season and he said it was so easy on the eye but effective at the same time and that was a big draw in him joining Fulham because he will have had other suitors, I'm, I'm sure of that. Oh, absolutely, he would have done. And I think Alfie Morrison, coming up through Barnsley, um, he was in and around the same team that John Stones was in. Yeah. So both of them are, are very capable of playing that football out of the back and I think that's always been a big draw for any player that's signed for our club and I think... All of the players that we've managed to sign this summer, all of them have said, I've come here for the style of football. Andre Scherler's one of them. He's a massive um, advocate of the way we play football, as are all of us uh, here on the podcast as well. And I think this year will be exciting. Alfie Mawson will be exciting as well. It's, um, it's a great signing for us. So what? let's assume Chambers is, is coming in. It looks like, uh, it, it, it very much looks that way. And by the time this podcast comes out, no doubt it could be all confirmed. Uh, set to sign on a season-long loan, 23. Uh, he's been at Arsenal now four years. Signed a new four-year contract last month. So definitely Arsenal see some long-term potential in Callum Chambers. They wouldn't offer him that kind of a deal if they didn't maybe see going forward that he has some chance of breaking into the Arsenal team. So if, if Chambers does join, you've got Ream, you've got Mawson, uh, you're going to have Callum Chambers. You've also got Lamarchon, who can play uh, very much at centre back, and very much is primarily a centre back. Yeah, and then you've got Dennis Adoy. Who do you think Slav's starting two are? I am. Um, no, I, I think that you you have to be careful with this one because you know there's going to be plenty of opportunities for rotation this side. Look, Mawson's already you know injured at the moment, so there's already going to be a, a, a you know, kind of space for someone to stake their claim early on. You imagine that the the pairing that he will start with in the first game will probably be Chambers and Ream if it comes through. You know that's old head experience and and with Fulham. But I do think you know Tim Ream is 31 now. He's you know coming to towards the kind of twilight years of his career, and I imagine that Slav's plan will be to phase him out, you know, in a in a nice manner. And that isn't supposed to sound you know detrimental to Tim Ream. We know how important he's been. But you know, you know, it's one thing being a centre half in the Championship and and being that kind of elegant, classy player. But actually, when the heat's on in the Premier League, you know, you, there's not really that much room for sentimentality. And I think Ream can cut it for another year. But if he doesn't, then I don't think Slavisa will be afraid to make those changes. Transition. Of course. I, I think, and you know, you have players like Le Marchand who, you know, very much looks like someone cut from the same cloth as Tim Ream in terms of he's not the biggest, uh, but he's, you know, very, very composed on the ball. He knows, you know, how to pass out from the back. And I think that he'll see Ream as kind of like a long-term you know, predecessor, if you will, to Le Marchand. And, and I suppose that, you know, Chambers and Mawson will then rotate in any other spot but, and if they both stake a claim, then you know you could see that again that partnership working out again. 
Well, Arsenal fans, some Arsenal fans are quite disappointed that Chambers is being allowed to go on loan. Um, there's a guy called Dave Seeger runs a blog called Gunnerstown, who uh, I'm quite close friends with. He texted me last night and he, he said the deal uh, looks really likely to be happening. And he said, gutted, absolutely gutted. I wanted to see Callum Chambers kind of build on the 12 appearances that he got for Arsenal last year and maybe become a bit of a mainstay in that central defence. But it's all change Arsenal with Unai Emery. And I don't think even Arsenal fans really know what the line going to be on Sunday against Man City clearly doesn't see him in first team plans they also signed I think Socrates and also Lick Steiner mm-hmm. as well so he's clearly moved down that pecking order but that's quite positive for us if Arsenal fans are that disappointed that he's not going to be with them this season you know, this is another centre-back who's young he's English and he's got a massive ceiling for improvement and his loan spell out at Borough wasn't well, it was whilst it was good for him to get some first team minutes in the Premier League. They again, they didn't have a particularly good season, and they went down. And since then, he's really been struggling for opportunities. And I don't think he won the trust of Arsene Wenger um, like he probably should have done when he returned. Although, as I say, the ceiling for him to progress and become a really good central defender is there. And under the tutelage of someone like Greenman alongside uh, Mawson and Lamarchon, there's uh, every chance that he could become an even better defender than he is now. And there is some talk of Fulham wanting him on a permanent and Arsenal not letting him do that. And I think that makes sense because he's only just signed a four-year deal. Why would you let someone go straight away after signing a long-term contract? And under Reem, who I think is slowly but surely like sort of merging into the role or morphing into the role of Breda Hangeland over the next couple of seasons, becoming that sort of older head, a little bit more humble. And uh, in Archie's amazing article with Hangeland today, he spoke about a Norwegian word, and sorry if I butcher this, it's called Jantiloven. Um, it's basically um, being humble, being like appreciative of what's around you and thinking as part of, of a system and of society rather than bragging about everything or being a show off. And I think Reem is that guy and he could he could teach everyone else the full and way and how to be a good centre-back. One man who knows all about being humble, Jack Collins. <laughs> that's, um, that's, that's, I imagine that's sarcastic. Um, it's, you know, it's obviously nice to see when Arsenal fans are, are upset about Chambers leaving. I, I know it's cliche and we've said it before, but something about when fans are upset to see a player go, that's always, a, I always see that as a positive thing. Yes. And, you know, it doesn't always work out. Like, it's not, you know, it's not a surefire solution that they're going to be a good signing, but it's always positive to say that this, you know, someone who seems to have their head in the right place, if they're on board with the fan base in terms of both their personality and character, as well as their ability on the pitch. And Chambers has had a good preseason. He, you know, he's, he's played most of these games in the ICC. He's, held his own comfortably. I know it's not a you know massively important tournament or anything, but he's done well. Uh, and I think that you know all of that that minute, and a lot of people were thinking, well, he must be looking to get those into the into the plans because you know Emery seems to trust him in, in a tournament like this. And you know obviously there are players injured and stuff, but Arsenal aren't that deep at centre back. Mm-hmm. And it you know it seems it looks like they're going to sign Domagoj Vida on the back of this, and that's going to be it will balance out the kind of sides of their defence because they have too many on one side and not enough on the other. But ultimately, you know, their loss hopefully will be Fulham's game. Uh, and another Southampton Academy prospect, of course, that's where Chambers came from, is Matty Target. And we spoke this time last week about how we thought that move was kind of imminent. It seems to have slowed down a tad, and I haven't seen too many more rumours uh, break out in the last few days. Is, is it still likely to happen as far as we know? I don't think so. I think Hughes came out today and said that no one else is going to be leaving Southampton, you know, Obviously, managers often say things that aren't true, but I think it shows a statement of intent that they're looking to keep Target. And I think that Fulham, I think Fulham will put another bid in. But if that gets rejected, I think that 
they'll start to turn their attentions elsewhere because they'll have no choice. And then who starts the season at left back? Well, I imagine you'll bring someone in yeah. you know, immediately. Yeah, there's um, there's pretty strong links coming out of uh, Spain at the moment, linking us with uh, Real Madrid left back Teo Hernandez, who's and that's who, a hell of a coup. It's a big coup if you manage to get him on loan because he had a fantastic season with Alaves. Yes, just before um, leaving Atletico for Real. And I think his his development has slightly been stunted in, in that first season at Real Madrid, but could come over here and, and do some bits. And, you know, although it may sound controversial, I kind of like Fulham's stance on Matty Target. I don't want them to pay over the odds for a fullback um, who potentially might not cut it in this league. And whilst he's shown some really, really good attributes in the championship and shored us up no end and gave us some fantastic balance, I feel like... 12, 15 million is, is too much for him. Yeah. I, I really do. I think we could do better for that price range. Stuart Holgren on Twitter asked us if basically we'd give him everything we've got on Teo Hernandez. So, you know, in terms of Ben's open the de- open the account there, it's had. But, you know, he's um, he's obviously a very talented player in terms of the fact that his brother obviously played for France in the World Cup. And, and that's, you know, a step that he's made that, you know, Teo hasn't perhaps, you know, made that, made that international step yet. But... You know, he was the player that Real Madrid broke their agreement with Atleti in order to sign. You know, they have an agreement that the clubs don't tend to transfer players between each other, and Real broke that to basically make that they make that move, which you know kind of shows you the esteem which he's held in, or was you know his talent was held in. And you know, like you said, Alaves he did really really well, uh, and I think that you know he's obviously behind potentially the best left back in the world in the pecking order at Real Madrid and. For someone to you know be in that position isn't a, a statement of intent in terms of how many minutes he's getting. He's obviously not playing that much because Marcelo is in front of him. But ultimately, you know, Real Madrid see real potential in him. Saw enough potential in him to you know really you know, annoy their local rivals who they're trying to build a relationship with. Uh, and in that regard, you know, I think this would be a hell of a pickup for us. And I guess also it's a sign of Fulham exploiting the loan market. Okay, it's been great so far this summer to not be overly reliant on loans and, and, and we've made some fantastic signings but I think Huddersfield last season especially in the Premier League showed that you really really can make some headway with, with good loans coming in both for, from England and abroad and we haven't really used up any quota uh, apart from Andre Scherler at the moment so maybe it makes wise sense to take someone of Hernandez's calibre who obviously will probably end up going back to Madrid after a season but yeah I'd be uh, completely happy with that and, and kind of agree on the Matt Target point as well. It'd be great to have him, but I don't think that Fulham should be held to ransom. Uh, this is bit... Mark Hughes getting his own back, by the way, isn't it? Oh, yeah, because we're now showing some ambition and he's fuming. He's absolutely furious. Uh, Celta Vigo at the weekend. It was a two-all draw, and you know, I thought it was all fairly positive, really. We won't dwell on it too long, but Mitrovic and Kamara with the uh, with the goals. Still looking a little bit vulnerable from, uh, from crosses, though. Yeah, 100%. The ultimate takeaway from the game was that we looked brilliant going forward and you know, still very, very rickety at the back. And, you know, Rima Le Marchand obviously still learning in terms of partnership. It's it's strange to see two left-footed centre-halves, you know, playing with each other. And, you know, it does give us a little bit of an imbalance. But more than that, Sessegnon had a, you know, very strange game at left-back where you could just tell he wanted to be further forward. And it doesn't matter kind of where Jokanovic sees him long-term. It, you know, for us, he's been so much better forward than he was at left back and he you know he looks exposed when things like crosses come into the back post and his defensive positioning is you know it's still brilliant for an 18 year old but it's for an 18 year old and if you're going to play against teams of high caliber you know like Celta Vigo and as we'll face in the Premier League that's going to get exposed and it's the main reason we need someone in I thought K-Mac had a really bad game 
A okay. really, really bad game. And he just looked a step off the pace. It, it was Maybe that summer's coming back to bite. Potentially. It was, it, <laughs> but it was the first time I was like, oh, that's not what came out does. He really did look not sharp. He, he, he was... You know, leggy. He missed challenges. They were they were passing around him at kind of at will, and it, it was you know I'm not going to make massive assumptions based on one preseason game, but if K Mac does that against Palace, we're in real trouble. Look at the quality that Celta Vigo have in midfield. They've got Labotka in there, and then it's got a couple of others, and they did make him look particularly bad. And you know you do have to worry about him slightly coming up against the quality of some of the midfields in the Premier League if you get. Lavojevic and, and a couple of others around him, he could be in real trouble out there. And you have to sort of rely on the work rate of Kenny and Seri to really support him. And they've got a job to do going forward as well to support Mitrovic. I feel like our play will be a little bit more wing heavy than it was last year because we really have to start getting the physicality of Mitrovic involved. And he, I did, do... that, he did that brilliantly as well, you yeah. know, from his first turn. But there were other moments where he got a throw in and he backed up defender about six yards mm. back into the box and then turned him. And it was. You know, really good to see Mitrovic look sharp, and well, c- compared to what he looked like on on Wednesday at you know at Aldershot, where he was just didn't seem to be involved in the game at all. I know it was the day after he signed, and mm. you know there's lots of things. But even in the four days being back with the team, that kind of match sharpness seems to return. You know, the second minute he turned the defender and absolutely pinged one to the bottom corner, and then you know for the rest of the game he was a bit of a nuisance, and and that's exactly what we need him to be. And, and Kamara's had quite a positive. Pre-season, I'm not just basing that on the fact that he's notched up a couple of goals, but I mean that is quite impressive. He's scored against um, Athletic Bilbao and Celta Vigo in, in two games, and I think we all worried that Kamara wouldn't get too much game time in the Premier League. Maybe worried's not the right word, but it seems like there may be a potential that he's going to be involved in some way, shape, or form uh, early on in the season. Well, technically, he looks a lot better, and there's a gaping hole on the right hand side of our, our wing and as there has been for the last sort of two seasons almost since the departure of Aluko. So I would I would probably agree that he will be involved in some aspect earlier on in the season if we don't get someone else that's gonna plug that gap. What what we could do is if if we do manage to get that left back, I imagine Sessignon will push forward and we'll look to move Scherler over potentially. Or Sess over we spoke about the inverted Sess, wingers. Yeah. Either one of them can play on, on both wings and Scheller's more than capable of playing across the, the the whole of the front four. If you look at his career stats on transfer market, he's played almost uh, 50 or 60 games in every single one of those uh, left wing, right wing, attacking mid and striker roles. So I feel like we've got a really good adept player there. Exciting times. I think overall as the pre-season goes, the results haven't been all that incredible. But I mean, I just really don't read into pre-season results at all. And I think you're a little bit foolish Uh, if you do and then signings have been good up until now and we'll just have to kind of wait and see uh, how the situation looks at 5pm on Thursday when the window slams shut do you work for Sky now? yes you just can't say it without you know smacking the nearest thing to you (laughs) as long as it's an enamelled object um, and saying slams shut yeah me and Ben are scooching further away (laughs) away from Sammy as you speak okay well up next uh, we're going to be catching up with Archie Ryan Tut all about Andre Scherler and uh, Fulham's transfer window as a whole and Jean-Sebastien Grand get ready the rewind hello I am Brett Hangeland and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese I'm listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Jack Collins here. Hola. And Ben Jarman as well. Well, go on. I didn't introduce myself. Sammy James. 
You are Sammy James. I am Sammy James. <laughs> the Sammy James. <laughs> the, the only one. Uh, so, exciting times this week uh, with Fulhamish. On Thursday, we're just trying to work out the finer details of where and when, but we will have some reaction uh, to the transfer deadline. And, of course, Fulhamish Extra will be back uh, with a Palace preview. Uh, and we're hopefully uh, going to be speaking to the guys from the Five Year Plan podcast. Jim Daly uh, is who we are hoping to catch up with. So uh, we'll have all the build-up to the first Premier League game uh, for Fulham versus Palace. And we'll have some reaction to the transfer deadline day signings. If any, it could be a quiet deadline day if Fulham gets some of their done. business yeah. done early. But we'll have to wait and see. I think we might see a load deal come in on deadline day. I feel like Tony Khan wants something to happen at 4.45 just to... Just to get everyone excited. Man like TK. Just so he can get the RTs. Yeah, I imagine he very much would like that. Uh, so, also exciting this week because uh, we've got some new stuff to be telling you about that's going on on Fulhamish. We're having a bit of a, a revamp, a rejig of how we do things uh, at Fulhamish. The podcast is largely going to say the same so if you're just a podcast listener and you don't get involved with any of the other shenanigans that we do then uh, don't fret too much but uh, there are some big plans in the pipe work and we're going to be launching all of that on Wednesday afternoon um, so keep an eye out on all the socials at Fulhamish Pod and you can see what is in the making for Fulhamish this season and we're just ex- very excited to tell you all about it to be, uh, to be perfectly honest yeah. so uh, keep an eye out very much so. We're um, we're excited to expand our portfolio. Absolutely buzzing. Transfer so, deadline day isn't just about the club. It is not indeed. Not. So uh, let's catch up now with uh, Archie. Uh, you will know him. He's been on this podcast several times. Friend of the pods. Uh, German football guru, but also just all-round football guru as well. Uh, and I caught up with him all about Andre Schürrle and uh, Fulham's transfer window as a whole. Started off by asking him what his initial reaction was when Andre Schürrle signed for the Cottages. I think that it's a it's a coup that he's he's come to Fulham. Not that that he's been having a particularly good time at Borussia Dortmund anyway. I mean, all the texts that I received from Borussia Dortmund supporting friends were, "Thank God you've taken him off our hands." Uh, but I think that's a little bit harsh in terms of the quality of player that he is, uh, but also in terms of the expectations of, of Borussia Dortmund. His performances at Dortmund need to be looked at in that context as well, because it's a club which is going through a, a bit of transition, to say the least, at the moment. But Schürrle, I think, is he the most tactically aware player? Probably not, but he still has uh, qualities that, for a, for a club like Fulham, will be invaluable this season and I think that as, as long as he's able to maybe score one or two of these spectacular goals which he's done at Dortmund which he's done at Wolfsburg Leverkusen I think that he's, he's going to be a player that will be able to turn a game for you in, in that way and I'm not sure whether let's say Floyd Aite has the ability to quite do that for example or indeed Abubakar Kamara and I think it's just adding a, a calibre of player that Fulham didn't have in the squad before. Obviously he kind of came through at Mines, which maybe is a comparable club in, in size and stature to Fulham mm-hmm. and, and did so well there and, and following that kind of got the big moves to the Premier League and got into the German national team from that. Could he potentially going to a slightly smaller fish kind of rekindle some of that form that got him to where it Got him. That's a good point because Dortmund is a club where you have 80,000 expectant fans in front of you. And in terms of the career curve that he's taken, yeah, Mainz is the most comparable club to Fulham in terms of that he's played for. But 
the, the problem is, is that he climbed the highest mountain somewhat in terms of winning the World Cup with Germany in 2014 and not just doing that. I mean, he set up the winning goal for Mario Götze as well. So I think that playing in terms of a little bit more of a pressureless environment, moving back to London as well as has been a, a, a big factor for him. I mean, of course, he was playing at, at that other club down the road <laughs> last time. And the last time that he played at Craven Cottage, he scored a hat-trick um, for Chelsea. So hopefully uh, something something different can happen this time. But I think that he, he's a player who maybe went off the off the rails a little bit at Wolfsburg from, from what I've heard from, from people who are slightly closer to the situation than I was. Um, I think that playing with that little bit less expectation on him is something that can maybe rekindle yeah, some, some slightly better form. And he's not going to be expected to score every week unless, I don't know, uh, our fans are expecting us to to somehow go and qualify for the Champions League, which won't happen. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to see. If you'd have uh, believed some of the hype after some of our transfers, you'd have thought that might be on the <laughs> might be on the cards. So his game could be then um, well suited to the Premier League again. And he's only he's only twenty nine. You kind of when I, when I've spoken to a lot of people about Andre Scherler who aren't Fulham fans and too clued up, they've gone, oh well, you know, he's in his thirties now. I'm saying, no, no, no. Okay, he may not have quite have the raw pace that he did in his early twenties, but I still think he's got plenty he's to offer. Oh God, I, I don't know why I'd got in my head that he was twenty nine. <laughs> Yeah, but no, he's look, 27. He's not somebody, I think, who is going to benefit from... from I, I, don't, I don't think he's comfortable in terms of necessarily beating the man down the outside. I think that he's better in terms of when, when his team is on the counter-attack and then that gives him room to kind of show his, his pace that little bit more or indeed as well just, just being able to run at his opponents in that way. I think from a standing start, he, found, he finds it a lot more difficult you saw that in brief glimpses um, in the preseason friendly against Duisburg, for example. But I think just just that ability in terms of on the counter attack, particularly, it, it's already a, a very quick team as as we know. Um, particularly with the Bubakar Kamara on the on, on one on one wing, for example, if 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 Slavisa Yukanovic tries to go that way, or if he plays Sessignon. Um, on the left-hand side further up as uh, was much more successful last season, then I think it's giving Fulham a lot more pace in terms of that. So I think, yeah, it it, it should. I think it's risk-free given the fact that it's a two-year loan deal as well. I think it's a very good piece of business by Tony Khan. And yes, as we say, for somebody who is, uh, I think, yeah, let's just say in their late 20s or, or whatnot. Yeah, let's not get into the nitty-gritty of the exact day he was born then. Um, and, and away from Andre Scherler, Archie, what have been your thoughts on the transfer window in general? I mean, it's big spending. There aren't many clubs in the Premier League as a whole that have spent more money uh, than Fulham. And it's, it's exciting times to be a Fulham fan in my eyes. I just don't think there's too many places that you can criticise. No, I think that the signing of Jean-Michel Serri was a real statement. And I think having that signing early on in the window enabled further transfers as well, like the Andre Scherler deal, for example. And we'll see what happens in, in the rest of this week as well. I think that expectations do need to be, I think, I, I would say mellowed a little bit because, okay, Fulham have spent a lot of money in this transfer window, but you only have to look at other clubs spending in other transfer windows that there's a reason why Fulham has to do this and other clubs don't. But also I would expect I would expect Fulham to kind of move down the pecking order a little bit in the final days of the transfer window. What is 
with the necessity to spend. Tottenham haven't really spent any money just yet, for example, and they always like to do their business late. Um, I think that it's a positive summer, but it still needs to be be viewed very much uh, in the prism that staying up is, is, is going to be the best thing. The, the nature of the Premier League these days is that you're encouraged to spend as much as possible. I just hope that behind this, that the club is already looking ahead towards the next few transfer windows because they're going to have to be shrewder and whatnot. I think you can spend this amount of money when you're expecting to get it back as well. Okay, you get that back through the TV money in the Premier League. But I think we'd all be kidding ourselves if if we didn't think that Ryan Sessegnon will be moving on at some point. Um, And I think that the, the club are maybe betting against that in terms of saying we can spend this much this summer and then we're going to cash in on Ryan Sessegnon at some point in the future. So I think that yeah, very encouraging so far. Um, I find it amusing still that uh, that Lisa goes and, uh, and 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 I think for the third or fourth year running. Yeah, I think the third year running now goes and calls for more um, calls for more transfer business. But he's right. Um, there there are still a few additions to be made. I wonder whether Thomas Callas will return, given the fact he's not moved anywhere just yet and whether the club are just waiting for for the right deal there but I think overall I, I would I would call it a seven and a half out of ten transfer window for Fulham excellent stuff I'd love to see what Fulham would have to do to uh, make it an Archie 10 out of 10 transfer window <laughs> no, nothing short of Messi would have done um, final one Archie you've recently spoken to Breda Hangland it's on uh, football.london I had a little read of the interview earlier you caught up with him whilst you were at the World Cup in Russia and uh, you've also got to experience firsthand what a lovely, lovely man he is. I, I, I wasn't exactly going into that thinking and, and being, being suspicious of these reports, but everyone who who you talk to who has met Breda Hangland generally says what a nice bloke he is. And I can only now kind of further that as well. Um, and, and and to be fair, I think he deserves credit as well for, for his transition um, to being a, a co-commentator in Norway. Um, his, his The lead commentator of the Norwegian coverage, a guy called Kasper Wittestad, um, who, was, who was there with him, uh, was, was telling these stories of how Breda now like carries the cameraman's equipment around because it's important for the teamwork uh, amongst them. Amazing. <laughs> how, I mean, how hard he works on his research. I mean, when I got there, he was kind of out the front of the cafe, just kind of studiously kind of pouring over notes ahead of the knockout stages and that. So, yeah, more down to earth than Breda Hangland as, as a footballer, I, I don't think you can meet. But also, I think that what he had to say about the style of play uh, factor was, was quite interesting. You you will see Fulham, the Fulham of old against Fulham, against kind of this uh, Fulham 2.0, if you will, um, in terms of the way that Roy Hodgson sets up a football side is far different and, and far less ambitious, you would say, to the way that Slavisa Jakanovic sets up a side. Uh, I know that uh, that Breda had one or few doubts, had a couple of doubts about um, how Fulham approached it, that they would probably need to compromise a little bit in terms of the, the, the in terms of the setup or the, the style of play this season. I, I agree with him on that. I think that otherwise, in in these bigger games uh, against against the top six, um, there's going to be a real risk of of them running up score lines because I just don't think that we quite have the quality of players to match them in that regard. But 
I still think I mean, he, the, the way he was talking, he, it didn't sound like he thought that Fulham were going to go down, and I would have to agree with that. I, I think that quite easily, um, to be honest, that there's going to be three worse sides than Fulham in the Premier League this year. Um, I've actually um, I've made a, um, a, a wager, shall we say? I'll, I'll keep the uh, I'll keep the amount quiet, uh, but I've made a wager with a West Ham fan that okay. we will at least finish above them. So um, let's see how that goes. Well, I'm I'm fully rooting for you on that one, Archie. <laughs> uh, make sure you go check out that article; it's absolutely brilliant. You can find the links uh, on Archie's Twitter, which is at archie rt one on Twitter. Uh, mate, take it easy. Uh, good to speak to you, and thanks for a bit more of a lowdown on Andre Scher. I mean, he's quite a well-known name around these parts. It's not like you're telling us about right. some obscure German football that, we, that we've never heard of. So, um, But good to catch up as ever, and uh, we'll speak to you soon, no doubt, later in the season. Will do. Cheers, Sammy. Pleasure as ever. Well, thank you to Archie as ever. Always good to get his opinions, uh, and especially with Andre Schürrle uh, being a bit more of a expertise field for him. So uh, thank you to Archie. And we're moving uh, from one international correspondent to another now. Worldwide. Yeah, Mez exactly. Mez Kayun Pod. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Worldwide. We caught up with French football expert uh, Jean-Sébastien Grand, uh, and we got his opinion on our two French signings this window, or our two signings from France. Uh, Jean-Michel Serry and also Maxime Lamarchon. Uh, I started by asking him whether he was shocked that Fulham had landed Serry. Yes, I, w- I was shocked because it was a he, he, he's a guy who barely joined Barcelona last year, and uh, actually he was uh, pretty shocked about his uh, this uh, fake uh, fake start. So he had a, a very bad season. So that's why uh, Fulham can could could buy uh, buy this guy. Uh, and what kind of playing qualities does uh, does Seri have? What does he? What what are his strengths and weaknesses? So, uh, Sammy, I, I really like uh, John uh, Michael Seri, but first of all, I, I want to ask you uh, something about uh, Fulham. Yes. Uh, do you think Fulham uh, are gonna play with a high position, with uh, you know short passes? Yeah, ex- definitely. I, I, that's, yeah. that's that's our style of play. Oh, so it's good because uh, Seri is very good passer. You know, he's a defensive uh, midfielder, but he was like the the boss, uh, the boss of the midfield in Nice. He's like the leader, almost the the playmaker. Obviously, Seri, it looks to be like he's going to be the box-to-box midfielder in Fulham's midfield three. You know, he, he'll probably play a little bit further forward than maybe he has mm-hmm. done in, in that Nice role. You know, where where has he played? You know, at Nice, and how has he kind of played? Or you know, you've seen that he's played all three of those midfield positions. And um, but have you seen where he maybe is best at, um, and what his kind of strengths are in in all three yeah. of those places? Yeah, you know, so, so he was outstanding in in this uh, in this job of number eight uh, two seasons ago in uh, 2016-2017. He finished with uh, ten assists, not only in the free kick. Or corner, but also in the in the game. So so I think he's more comfortable with the with the ball. Seri is like uh, typically a, a number eight. He can play number six uh, uh, front of the defense, but uh, he's better I think uh, higher in the pitch for the pressing. He press a lot because he's small, so he tries to to run a lot and uh, he make a lot of good passes. So he, can, he could be in person in this uh, in this area of the on the pitch. Do you think that Seri has really benefited from um, the likes of Cyprian and uh, Mendy taking the workload off him defensively and that's why he's been able to express himself so much over the last couple of seasons? So it's very different because you know when uh, Leicester uh, take Nampalis Mendy 
they thought that it was the the new Angolo Conte, and it was not that at all. Uh, so if I can compare the three guys, uh, John Michael Seri is more like uh, more Nampalis Mendy than Angolo Conte. You 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 don't have to expect. Uh, uh, John Michael Seri to be the new Angolo Conte for sure because uh, John, John Michael Seri don't don't, uh, don't is not a, a super aggressive de- defensive midfielder uh, so it's lo- it's like uh, Nampalis Mendy but way better. Okay, JS, and uh, moving on to uh, Maxime Le Marchand, we signed him at the same time as uh, Jean Michael Seri. Uh, what what do you know about Maxime and uh, where do you think you see him uh, fitting into this Fulham team? Yeah, the, the problem is in, in Nice, he played a lot of uh, left-back. He's, he's tall, but he played left-back because Nice didn't have a, a left-back, a professional left-back. So Maxime Le Marchand, he, he, he was a good player in the second division, but in Ligue 1, he, he's not, he's not, it's, he's a random, he was a random defender. So maybe he could, be, he could fit in the Premier League, but uh, now I think you have to, to, to get uh, some, some confidence, more confidence to, to be a, a, good, a good piece uh, in the Fulham squad. It looked like Le Marchand really played very well under Claude Puel a couple of seasons ago, yeah. but didn't yeah. do very well under Lucien Favre. Why do you think that is, and where do the two managers differ? Um, is that why he hasn't played very well? It's very different to play uh, centre-back or left-back. And he's definitely a, a centre back uh, with uh, like qualities for for winning winning duels, winning uh, challenges. Mm-hmm. But in in left back, it just was uh, 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 the, the the plan the plan B to to be a starter. And uh, I think I, I cannot evaluate very well uh, Maxime Le Marchand uh, uh, about his last season because uh, he didn't play a lot uh, in the centre. I think it could be a good substitute, but uh, for now, he doesn't have the, the level to be a, a starter in, in Premier League. JS, uh, thank so, you yeah. for giving us a bit of a lowdown uh, on, on, on Seri and Marchand, and hopefully yeah. we'll see you at uh, Fulham this season. Yeah, let's go to Cotegios. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. All the best. Yeah, bye-bye. Thank you, JS. Thank you, JS. She said, do you love me? I tell her only partly. I only love Tim Ream and Matt Target. I'm sorry. Welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins Holla. and Ben Jarman. Cheers to JS, Jean-Sebastien. Uh, good to get his insight on Serie and Marchand. And we are very excited to see how they get on uh, on Saturday against Crystal Palace. Time to open that post bag. Jack Collins, what's coming through? Got an absolute stack of great questions tonight. So thank you everyone for sending them in. We'll try and answer as many as we can as usual. Uh, this one came in as an email from Adrian Hinchcliffe. He also got a mini Twitter kind of... Uh, like a, a little bite, a bite of it before we got the full thing. Which, oh, right, which is so nice. you send you a teaser. A teaser question, yeah, <laughs> but then we got the full thing. This is a, it's a long one, so I'm, I'm going to read it out, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to the point. It says, if we look at the fall into the championship and the struggles to get back out as a learning phase, is this window the true beginning of the Khan era and the start of things to come? It seems very different to everyone that's gone before, smashing records on one more than one occasion, signing players in with Barca in top six clubs, being the top three of spending in the league, securing quality loans. We also seem not to have any surprises when the club has announced the signing. There's been strong rumours contrasting with previous Premiership acquisitions that were largely kept quiet. 
Assuming the top two boxes are being ticked still, the scouting and the data box, it looks like we're making some very canny deals that suit Slav's style. That said, when you add the wages in, what will our wage bill look like this season? Is the wage kept out of the window? How does it sit with a sustainable philosophy? And can we hope, given our revenues, that we're not damaging our FFP standing long term? So I suppose the two massive parts of the question are, is this the start of things to come that we expect? And how does that match up financially with you know the club that we know and love? It's a massive signal of intent from Fulham. And I think it is something that we'll have to get used to over the coming years. And it's something obviously massively positive. And if we stay in this division, you can only envisage that we will get better and bigger signings along the way. Fulham have worked really, really hard over this five years uh, that we've been in. We've been led by Shahid Khan and Tony Khan and the rest of the Khan family to put in a blueprint where Fulham remain, firstly, self-sustainable and stable financially, but secondly, have a plan on the pitch. And we're starting to see all of this come to fruition now in terms of our academy really starting to roll. We're producing talent on a on a very much more frequent basis than we ever were under Al Fayed and, again, the early reigns of Shahid Khan's uh, ownership. We're also seeing that the quality of our football has improved on the pitch by the way that we're scouting and signing players based on data and based on, uh, as as I said, actually scouting. Um, and I feel like this sign of ambition is always fueled and always was going to be fueled by Shahid Khan. And when we got promoted, he said he would back us the whole way. Um, and I don't feel that Fulham will ever, ever move away from that stability. If you ever talk, get the pleasure of talking to someone like uh, Alistair McIntosh that, that we have on a couple of occasions, he always um, preaches about Fulham not losing who we are and still maintaining who we are as a family club, as a club that's run successfully and a, ru- a club that's run sustainably, as opposed to a club like, for example, Leeds United, who are absolute, it's, a, it's an absolute circus up there. Um, and good win yesterday, though. Good win yesterday, admittedly, and a great manager. But um, I think that we will will continue to be stable. We'll continue to um, make money and, and revenue. And a good example of that is that we obviously don't have Grossman or Casino um, as a sponsor anymore, and we now have Daffabet. And the sponsorship deal itself is worth three million pounds straight up. And I imagine that if we do stay up, there'll be clauses in that contract where we get more, um, and that's for two seasons. And and if we do stay up, then all the TV money will start coming in and those signings will get better, uh, better, bigger and, uh, you know, more how much, how much succession planning, this is kind of my own question, do you think is in there though? It was a point that Archie alluded to in, in, in thinking like, look, realistically, we're going to lose Ryan Sessegnon in the next in the next couple of years. Yeah. You know, how much do you think they, they're looking ahead? I think it's quite easy to be productive now in the transfer window but do you think there are plans in place for one two three seasons time yeah well this is a question that's also coming from michael yates on, on twitter he says you know with all this money being spent on good seasons do you think the club have priced in the sale of Cessnion down the line to keep within those ffp regulations and i think the answer is probably yeah uh, i think that you know we we look to now you know you have your assets and they'll look to have priced what those assets are worth to the club now and what they hopefully will be worth in the future and i don't think it's just Cessnion. you look at you know the likes of Matt O'Reilly and, and all those players who are making waves in a number of ways and, and you know like even the small sales which you imagine will happen of the likes of Stevie Humphreys and, and those kind of players who've you know gone out on loan again but don't really seem to be moving towards the first team you know they've moved up yes he's moved up a division but it's still you know he still seems a long way off the first team and he's you know he's obviously not getting any younger so you know it's one of those he seems to be one of those players that the club is just going to be happy to take a 
five million hit on at some point for a championship side, right? Yeah. So all of that will be part of the club's progression and sight and, and look what they'll be doing when they're forecasting forwards. And we also have to take into account that even some of the signings that we've made in this very window itself could go a long way to sustaining Fulham's future in the in the long term and, and as well in the short term. You look at someone like Surrey, if he does well for a year here, 18 months here, we could make double back on what we actually paid for him. Yeah. Say he had a, a, a storming season with Fulham, we stayed up and someone like Barcelona came in for him, someone like Manchester United, someone like that came in to, for him, we could command almost double what we paid for him, which is roughly 23, 25 million. You know, if we got we get hold of Mawson, he continues to develop, he becomes a full England international, ends up going to Euro 2020, for example, has a good tournament there. You know, Maguire is looking at £80 million now to Manchester United. If we can get anywhere near that, again, that's double the fee that we paid for Mawson. Yeah, it's a, it's a sustainable strategy and that's what happens when you spend money. You know, what happened at the end of the Alfaya era was we spent money on players that had no resale value and that really put us in a bit of a hole financially. Whereas, you know, this policy of buying young and it's yes yeah, they're expensive but they're young and if we need to get older players in and older heads then you're going to be looking at getting cheaper players in at that point in order to you know to finance that and mm. you know from what we've done in this business and with the talent pipeline coming through that academy we have assets that we will be able to sell and that should be able to finance the club going forward i think my worry is looking at a team like southampton who i think are brilliantly run and a kind of model that i think fulham are on a we're on a similar kind of vein to yeah. how Southampton run things. I know they've got a bit of chaos, a bit of chaos in the boardroom and all of that, but it almost they kind of run out of luck in the end because they just kept producing such good talent or, out of, or buying such good players and then reselling them. And then the manager changed and they'd resell players and resign players, and it was just a, a, so much transition every single season. And in the end, it kind of burnt out. Their luck ran out, and okay, they just about managed to stay in the league. Yeah, last but they, season but yeah but you're right but they did manage to stay in the league and yes it was tight and it was a bit touch and go and yes if they'd gone down we'd be having a completely different conversation but they didn't and they've bought well again this summer and you think now they strengthen and they look to move forward and suddenly they're into a new era of the same model and yes there are obviously going to be hairy patches in it where you know the players you bring in don't quite match the caliber of the players that have gone out and that's obviously a bit scary because you then start to flirt with areas of the league you don't want to be in but Ultimately, they survived, and if you can survive that and get through it, and then use that to, to you know reinvigorate yourself over another summer, you can you know install a new era, and I think that's what Fulham will look to do. Okay, next question, please. So, this is a, a more fun question. Very quickly, um, not that was anything. It's just a little bit lighter, <laughs> shall we say? Um, it says it's from Ian Glenn. He says ahead of the new season, you'll prefer drinking spots for pre and post pint post match pints at the cottage. Old Suffolk Punch. Well, yeah, I mean we do. We it's are, our base of operations for the season. Yeah, we are very much trying to make uh, the old Suffolk Punch a thing. And, and it is just a fantastic pub as well. And uh, we are big fans of those guys on the Fulham Palace Road. But of course, there are your other options as well. If you're coming up from Putney, uh, Dom has always been a, a big fan of the Rocket, which is is a nice one just by the bridge. And you've got the Crabtree if you fancy something a little bit more... High market. end, high end uh, before matches. Uh, people big fan of the bricklayers as well, and, and of course you've got the classic, uh, the line. So, feel like I've named a few. Yeah, uh, we are very much going to be in and around the old Suffolk Punch for the majority of this season. So, if you ever want to come and see us, that's where we'll be. Yeah, very easy. Nice question, Sam Lockhart. Which away game are you all looking forward most to? Oh, good question. 
Uh, two personally for me, Brighton on the 1st of September. And then towards the end of April, we go away to AFC Bournemouth, uh, which is one I'm also looking forward to. Both of them on the coast, both of them two grounds I've never been to but want to go to. And I'm really looking forward to both. My one is Everton. And I know I shouldn't be looking forward to Everton because we never get a point at Goodison Park. But it's going to be my first away of the season. I'm really annoyed. Just a numerous factors denying me going to a few of the opening away games. My brother's 40th. And the fact he's de- dedicated an entire month to see, uh, seemingly his birthday plan seems to uh, have scuppered that. Um, but yeah, I- I've not been to Goodison. It's a grand old ground. Uh, it's a famous old place and it was someone that eluded me last time we were in the Premier League and always a trip to Liverpool is fantastic so Goodison's the one for me I'm massively looking forward to coming back to Newcastle um, obviously I have an innate amount of love for that city having gone to university around there but mm. I'm looking forward to spending that weekend before Christmas up and around Newcastle uh, I'm massively looking forward to going to Anfield I've always wanted to go and I've never been yeah. Um, I'm also looking forward to going to City and most of that is because I'm just looking forward to watching City play and that's kind of a little bit treasonous but ultimately I just really enjoy watching Pep City and I'm really excited about watching us go toe-to-toe with them. I don't know why but I'm also fascinated by going to West Ham because I've heard obviously I've heard all the bad things about going to the Olympic Stadium but it is still just a brand new stadium in London. I would have had the same buzz if we were playing at Spurs' toilet seat um, (laughs) this season so... I am looking forward to West Ham in a weird way, although I've heard very bad things, both from home fans and away fans, but I kind of just want to see the fuss for myself. I don't know if that sounds a bit odd. Okay, this one's from FFC Wedgeman, which is a great name, and I like it a lot. He says, if you could choose one player realistic to join before the end of the window, who would it be and why? I think this question's more interesting if you take out Chambers and a left-back. So we assume we sign a left-back. We don't know who it is, but we assume we sign a left-back. And then you have one player, a realistic signing that you'd like before the end of the window. Right, okay. So not Arturo de Vidal or something like no, that. No, it has to be someone that you could actually feasibly see Fulham getting. I think Ben will have loads of answers for this. So I'm going to start with you, Benjamin. There's a signing that Wolves are making today, and I, I would like to see him at Fulham. And it's, a Dharma Traoré. I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't, like, it would be exciting. Come I've on. never seen him deliver an end product. Yeah, he's good and he runs at defenders out and, you know, he's a handful. I don't know. He but got he delivered more end products as Middlesbrough kind of made their assaults to the playoffs last season. He he was quite poor in that playoff game then against Villa, but still, it, it, he did show flashes of absolute yeah, brilliance. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he is a brilliant player, but I just and feel Slav like could he's, get so hit, of him. he's so hit and miss. I think that move might free up the move back again for Cavalero, though. Well, he was in London today. So uh, I wouldn't be massively surprised if Adama Traore's incoming means the exit door for Cavalero, and he's a player I'd like to see at the cottage. Someone that's been touted today a little bit that's sort of taken my fancy is uh, Alvaro Negredo from Besiktas. Yeah, I've seen this. Apparently, three million euros for for what will probably be a, an alternative to Mitrovic, sort of like in the same ballpark in terms of having strength and, and some decent quality on the ball. But he certainly knows where the goal is. His debut season with Manchester City was fairly impressive. Yeah. Less so with Middlesbrough, but they sort of picked him up and he was bang out of form after a poor season at Valencia when they really looked in trouble. So I, I don't. I think it'd be a good buy. Three million euros is not very much money, and obviously he's a bit of an old head. You know, he's someone that you'd imagine that the strikers would learn from. And I think that that's a gamble you'd, you'd be fan, you'd fancy taking. Yeah. The, the player I'd really like in this is Roke um, is Nampolis Mendy. From, oh, from he's at Leicester, Leicester but he was at Nice yeah he was at, well he's ex-Nice and then back on loan to mm. Leeds last year 
He's a bit of just of an all-round action destroyer, and I think that obviously no Serie and Le Marchand already. Um, I think we could do with some legs in centre midfield, and I think he'd kind of fit the bill, and I reckon we'd probably be able to get him on a reasonable cheap deal. Yeah, I imagine we could as well. I, I quite like the idea of Joshua Guilavoji coming back in. Yeah. Um, that's, a bit, that's a rumour that won't go away, although Wolfsburg have said that they don't particularly want to sell him, and I could definitely see why. Um, someone I also like from Nice is um, Saint-Maximin. He yeah. plays yeah, for on the player. right wing. He's a very good player, but I imagine we'd have to pay a hell of a lot of money to bring him in. Yeah, also, uh, Nice must be like, go away. Stop seeing <laughs> all of our players. Um, but yeah, I think that we could do with a destroyer type in the middle, and I think that Mendy, he's not been particularly utilised by Leicester. He, you know, he obviously went there with high hopes to kind of, uh, I think, you know, which is the impossible job of trying to emplace, uh, replace N'Golo Kante. Um, and... They brought him in because he's a player in a similar mould. He's quite small and, and agile, but also you know brings that kind of energy to the middle. But mm. he didn't really live up to that. But they went back to Nice and did all right. So I think that you'd be you'd be able to nab him on the cheap. I've yeah. got I've got one, and yeah. this isn't really like fantasy land. But what about Ryan Woods? Yeah, I wouldn't mind that either. I'm not he's sure he's go. the caliber that we need right now. You know, he's he's not got any lower league clubs sniffing around. No lower division clubs. Stick. He's just being sniffed around by Swansea, isn't he? Hmm. It's hardly uh, like West Ham are interested, and uh, you know you kind of. I thought there were a few Premier League clubs potentially. Yeah, I, I just don't know if he'd start immediately, and I think we need an immediate starter yeah. in CDM. Okay. I, mean, talking I of, like the idea though, and I'd like to steal Brentford's best player. <laughs> talking of Premier League clubs, um, Jazz Kluka, uh not Sam Jazz Kluka, Kluka, Sam Kluka, sorry, has hasn't been able to agree terms with Burnley, and I heard that that transfer is only around about eight million for someone that Swansea bought for twenty or rumoured to be 20 a year ago, that wouldn't be bad, Val. And no. Tom Carroll might be a nice pick-up as well. Yeah, although he did really well, and I think he's probably going to stay under that Potter system and, and, and sort of can pull the strings in the middle. Someone that came on for Swansea on the weekend against um, Sheffield United and was brilliant was uh, Jefferson Montero. Mm. He came on and absolutely changed the game, and if Swansea can keep him, he'll be a game-changer in the Championship, but I also don't mind the idea of him coming in as a cheap option to play at right wing. don't think Callum Chambers is like that very much. No, good point, one mate. <laughs> Perry Freeman says, after the interview with Slav at the weekend, do oh, we yeah. believe that he's fully behind the decisions that the board have made in terms of signings? I can't take any notice of this anymore. It's three seasons <laughs> so in a row. Like, come on, Slav. You can't have a go about this window. I kind of got where he was coming from last summer. I fully got where he was coming the summer before. But, mate, I'm no, no one's buying it a third time. It's the boy that cried wolf. And... If if he's got too many complaints about this window so far, when there's still four days of it left, then I just I just can't believe it. I don't I'm not gonna have a go at Slav because I don't think he truly believes it. He obviously sees some sort of method to his madness and it must get him kind of what he wants because it's worked in the last two seasons and it's all been okay, but oh come on, mate. I think there's something in what he's saying is that the transfer window isn't completed. Like we haven't got all the things we need to make the squad capable of challenging. But I don't necessarily think that him throwing his toys out the pram was the best way to get results at this point. Like, as in, there are obviously good players coming in. Yes, we could do with another centre-forward. Centre yes, we probably need another centre-back. Yes, we probably need a left-back. And we could do with a CDM and a, and a right-winger. That's five transfers. That's still quite a lot that, you know, you feel like you're a tad light. I think we'll get three of those through the door. And I think that if we get three of those through the door, this will be a good window. I'm, I've not really given this opinion out on social media because 
I genuinely feared for the worst, but I'm very much on board with what Slav said. I do think that there are still a, a long way to go in this transfer window, despite there only being four left. And what's happened before has been absolutely incredible. Some of the signings that we've brought in and the calibre of player we've brought in is absolutely wonderful. And we've smashed our transfer record time and time again with all of our signings. But Slav is a guy that wants to push Fulham and he wants to push himself and the players to the next level continuously, regardless of who he upsets, who he you know, who he alienates. And I don't think Slav is afraid to tell you how he really feels. And I think that's what is really refreshing about Fulham in that for before that we didn't really have a manager who sat there and said, you know, actually we need more. Um and if you look at our squad it is paper thin uh, in certain areas. If we lose K Mac, there's no one really there at DM apart apart from Ibrahim Assise, who he's not really going to want to use and you don't want to have Seri sat there because he's probably a bit too lightweight and might be overrushed. Uh, I think Slav is just good at saying how he feels and he's good at saying what he wants and he's continuously pushing for them and that's why I personally really, really love him and uh, not only just because of the football he plays but the way that he wants to push our club onto the next level like he's one of us. Yeah, 100%. I think that's probably fair enough as a, as a point of interest. I think, yeah, I'm completely in kind of agreement in terms of I think we need more strength but I'm not sure that Slav saying that he doesn't think we're having a good window is part of that drill I'd like to finish there's a couple of questions the same um you know around this and you know I'm sure it's something you've heard about and not necessarily if you didn't see with your own eyes but there was a bit of a ruckus Mm. at Fulham at the weekend um with stewards basically saying to people that they couldn't stand up in the Hammersmith end and then you know two or three people thrown out for for you know continually standing up or for for reasons which looked to be reasonably small time in yes. terms of offences. Um, and people are slightly concerned about, you know, the heavy-handed manner of the security at Fulham at Saturday. And, you know, if 5,000 people are standing up at the back of H5 on Saturday, are they going to try and throw every single one of them out? You know, what what's going on here? But I just didn't understand that some of the reasoning, apparently from the stewards, was like, oh, now we're in the Premier League it's, you know, we have to clamp down on it. It wasn't like the EFL were going, oh, this this standing lark's great. I don't see, to me, that just seemed like a load of nonsense. For me, the, the rules are the exact same on standing in all Caesar Stadia. You know, it's a ruling from the Taylor report that was brought in for the top two tiers in England, regardless of whether you're in the Premier League or the Championship. There is no actual difference as far as the law is concerned. So... That seemed like nonsense to me. And look, are they going to be telling six thousand scousers when they when they come to town to be to be sitting down? Are they going to be ejecting all of them from the ground? No. And if that's the case, then you know why are they picking on one or two fans who, from what I understand, were standing at the back of the stand? Yeah, it seems a bit crazy and things like that that distance clubs and alienate fans. They set a very dangerous precedent. If they continue to behave in this manner, especially with um, you know season ticket holders and, and that sort of thing, and if you continue to be heavy-handed with your fans, as Sammy said, it's a very easy and quick way to alienate people away from the club. That we've worked so hard to bridge the gap between the fans and the supporters, because when we went down, there was almost no relationship there. Yeah. And we've worked really hard in those four years in the championship and the last two in particular to build that relationship between the fans and the club back up to a level where it is, you know one of the most widely recognised um, relationships in the whole of the Football League. And it would be an absolute travesty if the behaviour of a few people who are under the instructions that clearly lack common sense really um, tore that relationship down. And I know the guys on 
and social side of things at Fulham, you know, when they put out their media and they post and they try to be as inclusive with the fans as possible and really listen to us. And it would be great if they could continue to listen to us, even though we are in the biggest league in the world now. And it would be nice if the decisions that are made in the coming weeks are sprinkled with some common sense rather than uh, not. Look, there's, it's been a great summer for all involved. You know, we're still on that, you know, those heady days after Wembley and we're all excited by the transfers. But there has been a couple of slightly concerning things happening around the club and, and following our promotions to the Premier League. I think we're all worried that we might go back to those kind of dark days where there seems to be little relationship and the rise in ticket prices is concerning and it is mm. something that, you know, we might touch on. Uh, a bit more in the coming weeks once yeah, the transfer window is out the way because the ticket prices are very, very high and it hasn't gone unnoticed. And I think there's been a couple of small little seeds that if they're not dealt with now, could become a far bigger problem yeah, uh, as the season goes on. So hopefully it was just a one-off and against Palace everything will be back to normal and there was just a bit of madness because it was a pre-season friendly. But, also, yeah. it's easy to flex your muscles when there's, you know, 20 people around and it's very hard to do that when there's a thousand you know yeah. so it, it does feel like a bit like they were trying to make a point you know by using that game as an example as opposed to using palace as an example and i think that if you know those tactics are heavy-handed tactics are used again then there will be you know backlash pure speculation could be a new regime could be a new boss in the security could yeah. be a new security company and they're trying to go in on the first day and they made a few mistakes or they got it wrong in terms of yeah. the tone that was being set that's pure speculation i have no actual intel on that so maybe benefit of the doubt was pre-season friendly and i feel for those guys that you know were wrongly Eject, uh, ejected uh, and hopefully steps will be taken to next week it. if things develop I think then there's, this is definitely something that us FST and all of that should you know really be looking to address yeah 100% that's um, pretty much all of the post bag and there are you know bits and bobs we've addressed throughout the podcast talk of right wingers AK47 there's a couple of questions about Ream but I think we've kind of dealt with all of that um, over the course of you know, earlier bits of the pod. So thank you for all your questions as ever. Um, they were brilliant this week and I really enjoyed answering them and I'm sure these two did as well. Yeah, massively. Um, so yeah, please keep them coming in. Um, well, obviously we'll have questions every week as, as we do and, and we'll keep trying to answer as many as we can. So Fulhamish Extra will normally this season be out on a Thursday morning but we're delaying it a little bit this week because the transfer deadline uh, is at 5pm on Thursday. So this week's Fulhamish Extra, which will preview uh, the Palace game, and as I said, hoping to get the five-year plan, uh, should be available to download probably Friday morning, late Thursday nights by the time we uh, well, we get it out and sort it. So few things to be sorted there, and obviously keep an eye out on the Fulhamish socials uh, Wednesday afternoon. We've got some big announcements to make. But first, Jack, podcast name, what are we thinking? Oh, God, I haven't thought about this at all. Um, we're harking back to your intro and, and coming up to the end of this window and you know the start of the season, which we're madly excited for. I imagine we'll go with the final countdown. Yeah, we're getting close now, aren't we? Nice. Bit of Europe. Yeah, we love Europe. <laughs> In more ways than one. Dom doesn't. Uh, well, no, Dom doesn't. Uh, right, so that is all from the Fulhamish podcast today. Thank you very, very much for listening. We'll be back later in the week. To Jack Collins, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Ben Jarman, thank you. Thank you as always, Sam. I've enjoyed the triumvirate of us today. Nice. Is that how you pronounce it? No. Oh. <laughs> triumvirate. Oh. Oh, close enough. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you later. Bye. Take care. <laughs>
ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa here. And Julio Ricardo Varela. We are the co-hosts of the Roundtable podcast, In the Thick, where we talk about politics, race, and culture from a people of color perspective. That's right. Every Tuesday and Friday, we bring you the latest political news, covering the stories and issues that matter to communities of color with amazing POC journalists, activists, and academics from all over the country. So you're not going to want to miss our coverage because we have a lot of fun. We do. Which means that on election night, November 3rd, we are going to be hosting a live virtual show to give you the much-needed POC perspective on this crucial night in our country. Follow us on social media at In The Thick Show to make sure you don't miss the updates and this live analysis. Subscribe to In The Thick wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.